this past month, we've been in a sermon series on sex and dating. Pretty exciting times we live in, uh, having to do with Valentine's and the month of love. It's, it's a perfect time to be talking about this. I mean, we are just surrounded and inundated with uh, sex, with relationships all around us. You look at uh, all the, the movies and your social media and your friends at school. Um, it is all around us, and the world is telling us one thing. And so we need to know, is, that, is what the world is telling us, is it true or is what God has to say in his word true? And so uh, we're going to continue to look and see what God has to say through his truth and his word about sex, sexuality, relationships. Um, th- this past month, we've looked at kind of some big picture things. And that, that is that everything you're doing pre-dating is setting you up, is preparing you, is training you for the way that you're going to do dating relationships, you're one day going to do marriage. And so if you are walking in immorality, meaning if you're giving into uh, pornography, lust, masturbation, sex with, with other people, what, whatever it is, if you're giving into those things, you're training yourself to crave sin, to crave sexual immorality, and you're setting yourself up for a lot of pain and heartache within uh, dating relationships, within marriage. Uh, we also looked at when, when you're looking for a potential uh, mate, you want to be looking at their character. Do they have godly character? What's going on deep down inside of them? Not necessarily what is on the outside. That is all secondary to what is going on inside of them. And so uh, today we're going to kind of take it, take a step back. And uh, as I was praying about and preparing this message, um, I felt like, um, you know, there's so many times that that we can know a truth up here, right? Like we know what God says. We know what the Bible says about something, but does it, does it make the six-inch journey to our heart? Do we really believe it? And when we believe something, we act on it. We obey it. And so often we don't obey God because we don't really believe it in our heart. We don't believe what he has to say. And so we're going to look at what God has to say about, um, about sexuality here today. And so, um, you know, the past month we've, we've talked about a lot. And so I just want you to grab the, the pen and paper under your seat. And just, if you would, write down what has God been convicting you of this past month? As you've been studying God's word and what, what he has to say about sex, what is, what is God telling you to do that, that maybe you are ignoring? Maybe you're kind of hoping that, that he will stop telling you to do it. Whatever it is, just write it down, jot it down, keep it in your mind. You know, I think that, that so many of us think that, that God is, is holding back on, on us, that he has good things that he just doesn't want to give us. You know, like he's like some, uh, like, like Sid from Toy Story. He's got his magnifying glass and we're the little ants and he's just, ah, just melting us to pieces because he can. That's how a lot of us view God. But in reality, God is not withholding good things from us. No, he's, he's trying to save us for the best things. And so we're, we're going to look at a story here today um, that, that kind of goes back to the beginning, because this is the human condition. We think that, that God is 
holding back from us, that, that he just doesn't want us to be happy, he doesn't want us to enjoy life. And so uh, we're going to look at Adam and Eve today. Uh, everyone knows the story of Adam, Adam and Eve, I, I hope, but if not, it's the first story in the Bible. It's going to be the picture of Adam and Eve. Uh, they, they were in the Garden of Eden, uh, the first human beings to exist, and their story is much like ours here today. So let's jump into it. And we will see what God is saying here. Genesis 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you'll die. Oh, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, and so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So right off the bat in verse 1, uh, the serpent, Satan, comes to them and he says, the, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did he really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Like he just throws out this lie that, look, God, at Eve, didn't God say that you can't eat from anything here in this garden? Like, don't you realize he's trying to starve you, that, that he, he hates you, that he's trying to, uh, to take away the nourishment and the health that, that could be provided by these trees? Don't you realize God's starving you? Well, right off the bat, Eve is like, okay, Satan, that's a dumb lie. She's like Buddy the Elf. She's like, you sit on a throne of lies, serpents. You smell like beef and cheese. I'm not listening to you. That is her right off the bat because it, it's a pretty blatant lie. Like, okay, yeah, no, God gave us all these trees in the garden to eat from because he wants to care for us. He wants to nourish us. Well, that one doesn't work for Satan, and so he takes it to the next level. He says, um, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so... The woman catches him in this first lie, but this second one kind of takes hold in her heart. He says to her, oh, yeah, well, okay, maybe God is, is feeding you, but do you realize that he's holding back from you? Like the best tree in the garden, the best, most enjoyable tree in the garden, God, God isn't letting you eat from it? Well, it's because God is holding back from you. He knows that, that if you eat it, you'll be like him. You'll be really, really wise, and you'll know everything. Well, that one takes hold in the woman's heart. Verse 6 says, The woman was convinced, and she saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt the shame at their nakedness. So, Right off the bat, this, is, this goes back to the very first human beings on earth. 
The lie that Satan uses against them is that, that God is not looking out for your good. That God has, has these really cool, good things in store for, for others, but, but for you, you just have to suffer in this miserable life, and, and you don't get to enjoy all the good things that God has for you. See, the, the woman and, and her husband, they, they knew what God had said up here, but as soon as Satan gave that lie of, oh, well, he told you not to eat it because it's really good for you. They, they take a hold of that and they run with it. And the rest is history. They, they eat the apple. That, that is the fall of, of mankind. And we have been struggling and dealing with sin ever since. But do you realize that, that Satan's tactics don't change? He's very smart. He's very conniving. But, but he uses the same things over and over again, the same strategies, because we are easily deceived. Human beings are easily deceived, and we listen to the lies that he has to say. We think that God is holding out on us, and, and look, that, the same way that Adam and Eve thought that God, God was holding back is the same way that I think God is holding back, the same way that you guys think that God is holding back in so many areas. I want to share a personal story here today, and I want you to listen for a few things as I share it. One, I want you to listen for how, how I viewed God, how I thought he was holding back good things from me, and then I want you to also listen for the ways that I thought that, that my way was better than God's, and then the consequences that I experienced because of that false belief. You know, it's, it's easy to think that, that I have it all together because I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I'm the guy on stage, and I, I got the, the iPad, and I got the, the cool little, like, in-sync mic, and I'm, I got it all together, right? I think it's easy to, to view somebody who's teaching like that. What you don't realize is that my story is very similar to so many of yours. And so I grew up in the church, but I uh, started a, a pornography addiction when I was uh, 11, 12 years old. And so for, for 10 plus years, I gave into an everyday addiction to pornography. Well, fast forward to, I, I graduated high school and I uh, started becoming more serious about dating and about uh, you know, looking for a potential spouse. And, um, and, and that's when I met Lindsay, my now wife, we met here in the student building, and um, I tried to talk to her for an entire evening, and she completely ignored me, like wouldn't give me the time of day at all. Uh, I, I, I was like a sick puppy dog just following her around. She was like, would you just leave me alone? Um, but for, for whatever reason, by God's grace, he changed her heart, uh, and we started dating. Um, show me my picture of our first date. This is our first date. Now, I just want you to notice that, yes, she is beautiful, but I make a beautiful walrus. Like, I, I do the walrus, walrus thing really well. Um, it's one of my many talents. I was trying to teach her at the time. Um, but that is us, little, little baby, Kaylin and Lindsay. Uh, so we started dating, and we kind of set some, some boundaries early on because we wanted to do this thing right. And so we, we set some boundaries, and, and we said, you know what? We're not even going to kiss. We're not going to kiss until we 
get married. We had great intentions. Yeah, I just said, what? No, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is crazy. But you know what? My 18-year-old my self, my 19-year-old self thought the same thing. Because after a month of doing that, of being like, no, we're not going to kiss, we kissed. So for the first time, we kissed, and it, was, it wasn't just a kiss. It was a three-hour kiss. Yeah, like ridiculous. So we went from nothing to, to a 1,000 miles an hour real quick. Well, we thought, you know, we, we love each other. We're in a dating relationship. This is what normal dating relationships look like, right? Like we, we should be able to enjoy some of this uh, physical intimacy. What, what's the point of dating if you can't enjoy the intimacy there, right? Well, that's what we thought. And so we, we said, well, okay, so I know we said we're not going to kiss, but okay, let's just, let's take a step back. We're going to kiss, but, but that's it. We're just, we're going to enjoy the kissing portion, um, but that's it. Fast forward a month. Man, kissing was a slippery, slippery slope for us. And within a month of giving in to, to making out all the time, we were messing around. And we were doing everything up until the dictionary definition of sex. Guys, we, we allowed that to go from kissing to almost everything else because kissing is what prepares you to have sex. That is how God designed it, how he set it up. Kissing is the first step. It is the gateway into sexual intercourse with somebody. That is how God designed it, and it is good the way he designed it, but it is good only within the boundaries that he set it up in. And so we had given ourselves uh, these really firm boundaries with good intentions to start with, and we quickly failed miserably. So we went the next almost year of messing around sexually very often, almost every time we would see each other. And we would do this thing where, where we would uh, mess around and then we would uh, feel this shame and this, this gross like guilt and then we would repent to each other, I'm so sorry that, that, that we did this, I'm so sorry that I, I led you in this. And then we would make some, some new boundaries, okay, we're not gonna do this again, we're, we're never gonna do this again. Okay, well, two days later, we're right back into it and we're, we're uh, messing around again and we, okay, then we feel the shame and then we repent. Guys, we were in this vicious cycle that we could not get out of. And we tried, we tried, and we tried. Let me just ask you the question here this morning. How many, how many of you guys, uh, you don't have to raise your hand or, or give me a shout or anything, but are, have you kissed anybody? Do you know? You know what I'm talking about. When, when you start kissing somebody, all those feelings start being stirred inside of you, and it's preparing you physically, spiritually, emotionally. It's preparing you to take the next step. And the next step is preparing you to take the next step. And it, it is how God designed it. And we didn't know how to stop it. Because we were, we were in the middle of, of this, uh, this unhealthy habit that we were in, this, this destructive habit of being sexually intimate before we were married. 
we had no idea how to get out of it. That was until, well, let me, let me back up. I think that so often we, we think that, uh, that we know best when we listen to the world's advice to us rather than when we listen to God's advice. And so what, what Lindsay and I were doing is we were listening so much to the world's advice. And what the world tells us is, oh, you guys are in love. You guys are going to get married anyways. Why not go ahead and just complete the deed and have sex? Why not go ahead and complete the deed and, and do whatever you want physically? Like you're committed to each other, right? That's what the world is telling us. And the Holy Spirit the whole time was just shouting to me, no, no, save yourself, save yourself. You are hurting your relationship. You're hurting your souls. You're setting yourself up for destruction. You know, it, it reminds me a lot of a video clip that, that I love where uh, somebody was listening to the best advice that the world has to offer and yet disregarding the person who's shouting in their ear, trying to save them from destruction. Check this out. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything and everything falls apart and eventually you die and no one remembers you. That is a very good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Are you okay? Swim for it! I got you! I got you! Get up. 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 Get Guys, that, that was me. And let's be honest here, that's so often us. When we are going along, doing our own way, because we are listening to what the world has to tell us, thinking that what the world is telling us, the, the best advice of the world, that he, he was listening to a GPS system, the best directions that a world uh, technology system can give him, and yet... It led him, because he listened to it to a T, it led him into a lake, even though the person was shouting to him, no, that's, you're, you're listening to it all wrong. That's so many of us, when we continue walking in, in the world's advice, instead of listening to the Holy Spirit who's telling us, 
No, man, you are, you need to stop. You need to, no, go the other direction. You are setting yourself up for failure. You're hurting yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit is, is shouting to us so often, and yet we just disregard him. Well, that, that was me in my dating relationship with Lindsay. I disregarded what God was saying, and I felt helpless, absolutely helpless to get out of it. Like, man, is this just my lot in life? Like, I'm just, I'm just doomed. I'm destined to be a, a wretched sinner. That's how I felt. It wasn't until I heard a sermon from a pastor, and he said something that uh, will stick with me, I think, forever. He gave an analogy and, and some, uh, some advice on relationships, and he said, look, whenever you give yourself into sexual immorality, pornography, masturbation, sex before marriage, lusting after another person, when you're giving yourselves into that, you are, you are receiving in the moment a, a feeling of excitement. It's an adrenaline rush because you know that you're doing something that you're not supposed to be doing. And so you, you feel this adrenaline rush anytime you're doing something uh, sinful, anytime you're doing something immoral. And so, for, for example, there's, there's uh, a guy and a girl and they're in a dating relationship and they, they start uh, making out and then they start messing around and then they start having sex and, and man, the, the adrenaline rush, the level of excitement is just, man, it's intoxic. Like, it, it is incredible because uh, it, they're doing something that they're not supposed to be doing. They're doing something wrong. And so they start associating that adrenaline rush with love because they get it anytime they're with this person that they love. And so fast forward, they get married and then it's no longer wrong. And so that adrenaline rush that was once there because it was immoral fades away and they start saying to each other, well, it's just not the same. It's not the same. We've lost our spark. Well, so the, the husband's at, at work and he starts flirting with his secretary and he starts feeling this adrenaline rush with her because it's immoral and he shouldn't be doing it. And so they start becoming physically intimate and then they, they start, uh, he, he feels the adrenaline rush even more. And so he says, okay, I don't love my wife anymore. I'm gonna divorce her. I'm gonna get married to my secretary because I love her. I feel this excitement when I'm with her. That, that's true love. Well, then they get married, and it's no longer wrong, and so he loses that feeling, but then his ex-girlfriend from, from high school contacts him on, on Instagram, and they start talking, and, and then he feels the adrenaline, so he divorces, and it is a vicious cycle. When we give ourselves into sexual immorality, being sexually active with our boyfriend, our girlfriend with a screen, it trains our body. It physiolo physiologically trains our, our brains to associate love and intimacy with, with immorality. And it is setting ourselves up for one day adultery, divorce, and so when I, when I heard that sermon, guys, I, I, I wish I could explain to you the, the level of conviction that I had, and it all made sense. In that moment, it went from my head to my heart. 
where I truly believed in that moment that it was damaging for us to be sexually active together. And so we sat down after that, Lindsay and I, and we, we made some pretty serious boundaries. And this time we had it backed up by the belief that it was, it was for our best. And so the boundaries that we then set up, we went back to the, the uh, ridiculous in the world, world's eyes boundaries. We didn't kiss for the next six months. Not even a peck. Not even a, a little peck on the cheek because I knew, not, not because I'm so holy, I knew I couldn't handle it. There was no way that, that I, could, uh, I could exercise the self-control to not let myself get further and further and further down that slippery slope. And so I just said, hey, I can't stop the train once it's moving. Let's keep this train in station. It's just not going to go at all. And so by the grace of God, we went for six months before we got married, not being sexually active together, not, not giving in to, uh, to that impurity. And so it was great. We got married. Show me a picture of our marriage. A little, little baby face, Kaylin. I look like a 12-year-old there. Um, but that, that was our marriage. It was amazing for, for several months. It was really hard, but really good. And that, that sexual uh, intimacy was no longer wrong. And so I found myself feeling those same feelings. Man, it's just not the same. What's wrong? And when, when things got hard, I started falling back into sexual immorality. And so if you'll remember, I had this, this decade-long pornography addiction that I had never dealt with. I, I wasn't looking at porn while I was with Lindsay because I had just exchanged my addiction to pornography for an addiction to this woman, but I had never dealt with the root addiction. And so six months into our marriage, I, I fell back into looking at porn. Guys, if you don't think that, that you looking at pornography, you giving in to masturbation or whatever it is, if you don't think that that is one day going to damage you and hurt you, man, I am living proof that there are consequences for sin. And just like, like God was warning Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit because he wanted to protect them from pain, God is warning us here today, don't eat from Immorality, because all it will do is bring pain and destruction. And so I, I fell back into this addiction, and guys, you, you want to talk about heartbreak. Man, think about being the husband, the one who's supposed to cherish and love and take care of this precious woman, and having to go to her and say, babe, I, I committed adultery in my heart. Man, that wrecked her world, the pain that I caused her because of that, and, and I can never change that. But by the grace of God, I started getting serious about this addiction. Let's deal with this addiction that is, that is entrenched in my brain, in my wiring. Let's get it out. And so I started becoming extremely accountable to Lindsay. Anytime that I, that I would give into any hint of lust, 
babe, I, I gave into a little bit. I, I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And then I, I had a group of some trusted guys that I became intensely accountable to, confessing everything to them, asking them to pray for me, to fight for me. And I put up some serious boundaries with, with technology and, and with, with everything that I was doing. But guys, I had to wage war against it. I had to fight like my life depended on it because it did. Not only my life, but my wife's life. Not only her life, but one day my kids' lives depended on me fighting this. And so by the grace of God, by his sovereign grace, he gave me the strength to, to fight through that, to, to build some new healthy habits. But guys, if, if I had not done that, man, there's no telling where I'd be right now. There is no, I, I, I can almost guarantee you that, that I would be divorced. If I had not fought my addiction, and backtrack a little, if, if Lindsay and I had not fought our immorality together, our, our being sexually active together, I can almost guarantee you that we would not have made it because the amount of fights that we had because of that was unbelievable, unbelievable how much conflict, how much pain, how much heartache was, was in our relationship as a result of our sin because we didn't listen to God's boundaries and what he had to say. All it did was bring pain and destruction and heartache. And if we hadn't have backtracked back behind those boundary lines again, I don't think we would have made it. If I wouldn't have backtracked behind the boundary lines of addiction, I don't think we would have made it. As it our purity is not about being uh, some religious holy person that can show the world, hey, I am, I am a, a Pharisee. I am like the Pope. I, I look how holy I am. Look how great I am. It has nothing to do with that. That, that is pride and arrogance. No, it has to do with setting yourself up to be able to walk in, in peace and in unity with your one-day spouse. It is setting yourself up to, to enjoy God at the root of it all. It's enjoying God. And if we don't fight it now, while you're still in high school, while, while you're still... Um, while you're not in these relationships, if you don't fight it now, you are setting yourself up for a lot of pain and heartache. And I don't tell you that as somebody who read it in a book. No, I tell you that as somebody who lived it, who experienced it, who had to look his wife in the eye every time that I broke her heart by leading us in messing around together. And then when I led her, when, when I gave into pornography, when I gave into adultery in my heart, as there, there are consequences for sin. Adam and Eve had consequences when they chose to, to disobey God and to think that God was holding out on them. So often I thought that God was holding 
back from me, that, that, that he was holding back this, this intimacy, this, uh, this pleasure, this joy in our dating relationship. I, was, I, I thought that God was holding back from me, but really, God was trying to save me from pain and suffering. He did the same thing for Adam and Eve. But if, if we're all Adam and Eve, then, then where's the hope here? Are we just, are we doomed in our, in our sin? Are we doomed to just repeat the past and, and, and walk in whatever addiction we're in? No. Listen to Genesis 3, 21. It says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. And it sounds really profound, right? Like, okay, cool. What does that mean? I thought the same thing, too, until I started really diving into what this means. So Adam and Eve sinned. They, they needed something to cover their, their shame, their nakedness. And so God took this innocent animal, this animal that had never hurt anyone, had never, had never sinned, had never broken anyone's heart, God took this animal and he slaughtered it. He shed this animal's blood so that then Adam and Eve could be covered in the animal's skins, could cover their shame and their nakedness. Guys, we are Adam and Eve. Do you, do you realize that, that God looked at us in our sin and in our, our shame and our, our nakedness and he sent his spotless, perfect son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and he slaughtered his own son so that we could then be clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that our nakedness from the shame of our sin and our guilt could be covered by the righteousness, the perfection of Jesus Christ. Guys, there is hope in the gospel. That is where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't lie in mustering up enough strength to change ourselves. It doesn't lie in, in being good enough. No, our hope lies in Jesus Christ alone and in his shed blood for us. God was saying it from the very beginning. He said to Adam and Eve, look, you can't cover the, the shame of your nakedness, and so I'm going to have to destroy something that's perfect and holy so that you can be covered. And he did it because he loved them. God sent Christ because he loves us so that our sin, our shame could be covered. That we wouldn't have to walk under the burden of under the penalty of our sin. As that, that is the gospel. And the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the only thing that, that has saved Lindsay and I, that has allowed us to be where we are today. And we still fight consequences from all that, that we, we trained ourselves in. But we are covered by the grace of Christ. Do you need some covering of God's grace here this morning? Guys, we're going to move into a time of response. I want you to grab the, the pen and paper from under your seat.
So just take a minute and think through. We, we've been talking for a month now about sex, about uh, what God has to say about it. I just want you to ask yourself this question now. In what way are you rebelling against God right now? In what way are you hearing what God is saying, like, like the passenger in the car shouting at you, no, don't go right, go straight, you're going to go in the lake. In what ways are you ignoring the Holy Spirit shouting warnings at you? Whatever it is, write it down. Whatever you write down, know that God has not left you in that. God has not abandoned you in your sin, saying, oh, you haven't been perfect enough, you haven't been holy enough, and so I'm never going to have anything to do with you ever again. That's not God's heart. Look at what he did for Adam and Eve. He said, you were perfect, you had everything. You had it all. You had me face to face. And yet you spat in my face. God had every right in that moment to destroy Adam and Eve. And he would have been perfectly justified in that. But he didn't. He didn't. Because his grace is infinite. His love is infinite. And he's all about reconciling, bringing back people to himself. God has not left you in whatever you wrote down, whatever he's put on your heart. God has not left you in your sin. No, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that he has shed his own blood so that we could be covered in the righteousness, the grace, the forgiveness of the Almighty One. And so in whatever way you are rebelling against God. I just want you to write out a prayer after that. Asking God for his forgiveness, his grace, his mercy to cover you, to wash you. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his kindness that is warning you here this morning warning you to abandon the world's ways and to follow his ways. Will you listen? Will you listen to him? I pray that you will. We're going to continue to respond with tithes and offerings with our communion where we can remember, we can celebrate Jesus' broken body and shed blood, the innocent, perfect, spotless lamb that was murdered on our behalf to cover our sin and our shame so that we don't have to walk in that. We don't have to be burdened by shame day in and day out. And then we're gonna worship. As I encourage you, let's, let's worship with all we have. This isn't, this isn't a religious ritual where we just check off the box of the ending song. 
No, use this opportunity to meet with your creator, to meet with the God of heaven and to let his mercy and his grace wash over you, to free you from the guilt of your shame, to give you strength to start pursuing his ways within his boundaries because they're good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We confess that we are desperate for you. God, we can't do this alone. Lord, we can't muster up enough strength to change ourselves, to get out of addiction, to get out of sin. But you are the infinitely powerful one. You are the creator of the universe. You are the God of heaven. You hold all authority in your hands. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, would you save us? Would you free us by your mercy and by your grace? Or we can't do this alone. We look to you. And go with us, speak to us. Continue to draw us near yourself. In Jesus' name.